This is Problem Solved, the IISE podcast, where we talk to industrial and systems engineers about their work, ideas, and solutions. Hello and welcome to Problem Solved, the IISE podcast. I'm Keith Albertson, Managing Editor of ISE Magazine. Today, we offer a bonus episode addressing how industrial and systems engineers are responding to the COVID-19 pandemic. Our guest today is Linda Enos. She's a certified ergonomics and human factors consultant with HumanFit, which develops ergonomics and safe patient handling programs for hospitals and outpatient facilities. She's been an ergonomics practitioner for more than 30 years, and she's also a registered nurse who served in hospitals and in home health care. She's a member of IASC and the Applied Ergonomics Society. And she appeared in the What's Your Story profile in the February issue of ISC Magazine. Today, we're going to discuss her specific role in the unique ergonomic challenges healthcare professionals are facing during the pandemic. Linda, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Keith, and thank you for inviting me to be part of this um, exciting series. Well, before we get into discussing the coronavirus, the pandemic, and all that's happened there, just give us a little background on your role as a healthcare ergonomist, the kind of the different challenges to healthcare worker safety that, that you normally address and have been since before the pandemic. In the last 20 years, my practice has focused more on healthcare, but I, I do still work with other industries too, a lot of whom are, are working at home right now. So um, the focus is on the healthcare side. Um, I, before the pandemic, um, I was working with many different hospitals and actually hospital associations and some unions on various projects, primarily in the Northwest, but um, I was starting to travel a lot more throughout the country. And my focus has always been my passion is worker safety. Um, and then since coming back to healthcare, how that links to patient safety. So I, I work a lot uh, with implementation of safe patient handling programs, uh, design of hospitals to incorporate lifting equipment and safe work processes, very much an ergonomics focus within that. And then program development, a lot of training, data evaluation and analysis of programs. So I have worked for the past 10 years as one of my clients is a large teaching hospital in um, Oregon. Um, and I've been fortunate enough to be able to develop some very interesting programs there related to ergonomics. Um, I also consult with patients. Uh, in fact, that's what I was doing yesterday, um, which was great to be back in the hospital after a few months of being away. Um, but I consult with bariatric patients, pediatrics, um, early mobility and ICUs, work throughout the hospital in the OR, imaging, um, uh, design and construction, everything from the, from the patient care bedside to the morgue and autopsy. And believe me, we, we have, even have ergonomics challenges there that need addressing. I also have done quite a bit of work with ergonomics for support services. So our food service staff, um, housekeeping or EVS, pharmaceutical and so on. So I've been very lucky that it's been a very broad um, practice and I've been able to use a lot of different skills from my background in OC health, safety and ergonomics. Um, I've also been pulled in the last five years into prevention of violence in healthcare. Uh, this, I kind of fell into this. It wasn't planned. Um, working with Hospital Association and Union in Oregon and eight hospitals conducting 10 projects in violence prevention and actually also safe patient handling. But what I found was in, in getting into the violence um, world, violence prevention world, which is very prevalent in healthcare, unfortunately, along with our, our musculoskeletal disorders, is the interconnected between MSD prevention, violence prevention within the context of a system of safety for workers and patients. 
Um, and a lot of parallels between program development and changing behaviors of staff and different groups, to, you know, with a safety focus in mind. So I, I definitely have been very fortunate in that I've been able to have my finger in a lot of pies and work in, in a very broad arena in, in, in healthcare. Now, you're a health professional on the Pacific Coast, which is where the pandemic first showed up on our shores a few months ago. When did you first realize that this could really develop into a serious crisis that might disrupt uh, a lot of our society? Good question, Keith. Um, well, there were several things that were going on that, that, that worried me. The first was when we started to hear of, the, of COVID occurring uh, in the nursing home in Kirkland, Washington. Having worked with long-term care, um, we see uh, other infectious diseases such as influenza and norovirus spread very quickly in those environments for many reasons that we don't have time to get into today. But a lot of those nursing home workers are often on minimum wage. Um, they have two or three jobs. So you can imagine they travel to other nursing homes. And at that time, we heard that there was no testing of staff. And this is, of course, I'm going on what the media has said, but no testing of staff. So it was really allowed to spread between different facilities quite easily until we kind of knew what was going on and public health was stepping in in a more aggressive way. So that was a red flag. And partly because in 2009, I was part of Multnomah County and the statewide effort to address H1N1 in Oregon. Um, I was working for a nursing union as an economist at that time and safety consultant, and I was actually their representative. So back then we were planning for a pandemic. We knew this might come. Uh, we've seen SARS and MERS. Um, so, it, you know, that, that was a red flag for me, seeing the spread in nursing homes, given that environment. Uh, we started, the chatter started locally about could this be a pandemic? Um, and then I'm very well networked with other safety and employee health nurses in hospitals throughout Washington and, and Oregon. And we started to hear that chatter and the concern. Um, so this was, you know, late January, mid-February. And then lastly, I was actually at a safe patient handling conference in San Diego the first week of March. And, you know, uh, other than talking about safe patient handling, the other topic was COVID-19 and the concern. So um, flying back on the plane, you, you could really tell that that, that this was, was starting to bubble up and this was a much bigger concern than just in the Northwest and parts of different parts of the world like China. Yeah. And, and we very soon began to see, uh, particularly in some of the large urban areas, how many hospitals were beginning to be overrun with patients as, mm -hmm. as, as it blew up very quickly. What were some of the um, ergonomic and, and, and safety issues that having that volume of patients and having this uh, huge influx uh, all at one time put upon healthcare professionals that uh, was above and beyond what they normally face. I've got the, the Oregon perspective and I'm well connected here. Not all of our hospitals were overwhelmed. We have the fourth, the lowest count of COVID-19 in the country right now. We were about fifth or sixth. So we've been able to flatten the curve and control things very well in the state, partly because of pandemic planning from 2009, I believe. Um, but my colleagues in Seattle, I mean, we certainly did have COVID cases at our larger hospitals. And there's two main hospital systems in Seattle that were really um, very slammed with this. Um, but again, maybe not as bad as we saw in, in New York. I think, you know, th there's there's different impacts for different groups. You've got the group that is working for these with these patients. Um, and we have all the issues of the handling of these patients, lifting and moving. A lot of these patients, if they're in ICU, need proning or put on their stomach um, because they have acute respiratory dis uh, distress. Um, we use techniques with ceiling lifts and other lift equipment where I work 
to actually prone patients with four staff, but otherwise that's a manual job with eight staff and it's dangerous and it's heavy work. And this patient's usually intubated. So you have to be very, very careful. Um, you know, there's the impact on the EMS staff um, and, and constant demands there. And then we have, you know, these our COVID patients where we have a lot of them in ICUs. We have to mobilize them as they, if they progress and get better, you know, that early mobilization and the physical demands that go with that if we don't um, have equipment and good processes in place. But I think there's other impacts of this as well, not just in the, I mean, in the hospitals where they really had high numbers, um, but we, we've got that, um, the impact of you're very close to working with your patient. Um, you, you can't avoid that when you're providing nursing care or as a physician or as a physical therapist, um, you know, and we watch staff work in very poor ergonomics positions, if you related positions, if you want to say that. So, uh, for example, not raising the bed and reaching over patients to turn them. This is endemic in the way we provide care worldwide. Um, and actually, where I'm working in Portland, we've been able to develop some very good ergonomic related techniques to increase distance between staff and patients using equipment and sound ergonomics practices, uh, such as raising the bed to the correct height, which might sound like something very simple. Um, but it, it's, um, it, it really can make a difference on how close you are to your patient and how accurate you are when you're performing your work as well. Um, then we have the psychosocial stress of all of this to everyone that's working in healthcare, whether they're working with these COVID patients, increased volume or not. Um, you know, taking this virus home to their families is a huge concern. Uh, also, the concern of the financial impact and staff are now being furloughed. We're seeing that in the Northwest. Um, there's a very uncertain future for a lot of our hospitals, especially the rural hospitals that didn't have high numbers of COVID patients, but were shut down because of social distancing orders in their state. So um, th there, there's a, you know, the, the, the impact is huge from multiple multiple angles, certainly the psychosocial impact, um, the fatigue that we see when you're on long working long shifts, dealing with that stress of, uh, am I going to be getting the virus, taking it home? How can I provide care for my patient? Um, and if obviously, unfortunately, if you're working around a lot of patients that die, that, that takes that stress to another, another level. Um, we also have seen the stress of lack of PPE, and that is still a problem today that um, we're not seeing the media talk about. We have 30 days supply of PPE in Oregon, and we're very concerned as we're trying to open up for elective surgeries to offset this financial impact. We don't have enough PPE going forward. So um, there's a lot we still have, have to address. And, and as we all watch this unfold, um, whether we were close to it or watching from a distance, we saw so much news coverage in New York and other places of healthcare professionals that were just pushed to the limit by the, um, the, the heavy volume of patients and, and the difficulty they had in, in treating them. Were these unique? Had anyone ever seen this kind of thing before as a healthcare professional? Was, was, did you see things that you did not expect as you saw all, all the uh, different reactions to the pandemic? Well, obviously, a lot of concern and empathy just from my perspective um, as a nurse. But I've, I, I, I've never worked in that situation where you're working long, long shifts. You don't know if you have enough protective gear. You don't know what you're dealing with diagnosis-wise and treatment-wise. And you're, we're, we're all learning from each other. Something new comes out um, every week. But from my perspective, it just made me feel rather useless. I wanted to help so much and I couldn't be there. I mean, I can help in other ways, but um, 
Uh, I, I think the, the the massive surge that we saw in New York, are our work systems designed to cope with that? Well, we've certainly learned a lot. And I think that's a discussion now in healthcare systems. How can we learn from this? Um, the way we're going to deliver medicine in the future is changing because telehealth has increased what, 80, 90% now. Um, that was already shifting before this pandemic. We were shifting away from large hospital settings to settings where we provide all care in one in one environment and uh, moving towards telehealth. So, um, you know, this this is going to have, a, I think, an Im- a huge impact on showing up where our deficits are in our healthcare delivery system in the US. And then what can we learn to make this better again? And, and, and actually, um, I think, deal with equality and access to healthcare as well. So I'm sorry, that's a little bit off topic, but... <laughs> no, not at all. Well, what, what role did you play? I mean, as this was playing out, were, were, were you doing your 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 normal consulting or were you called into some special situations that that required that expertise well if i'm really honest within three days i lost about 85 percent of my business um i was booked to travel to a lot of different states to actually give workshops um on various topics some of them being violence prevention and ergonomics related uh all of that got cancelled very quickly so you know if you're self-employed you're left with a lot of airline tickets you're not you're not sure if you can use however i think um what what i have found is that you know i was used to doing web access and using the virtual platform, but not in this way. So I'm now in the process of working with one client um, uh, to develop a whole, what was a workshop, a whole day program development workshop. We're actually going to make that into a series of webinars and see what this platform is like um, in conducting interactive workshops, not just lecturing um, and and, um, groups having assignments as they would have done in a workshop environment. And how do we network people um, from different hospitals in this case and will they still get the same um, same benefit via webinar platform over five or six weeks as they will in person? And I think this is going to be the future of my business probably until travel becomes normal again, whenever that might be. Um, and in the meanwhile, I'm very lucky. I have my hospital client of 10 years. So I'm now back at the hospital um, rounding and consulting with staff um, and then we are just in the process of trying to figure out how we're going to conduct staff training. Um, what I teach is very much hands-on, as it would be with any medical device. Uh, lift equipment is a medical device. That's how it's classified by the FDA. You can only teach that with hands-on training to competency. So we're converting as much as we can to um, visual job aids. Uh, we're even using QR codes that link to our very short videos that are online on how to use equipment, ergonomics processes. Um, and we have to even consider the usability of those videos from the point of view of, do they even have audio? when they look at a video, but, you know, we have text over, but we're looking at, okay, how, how much of the training do we do? Can we deliver using technology? And then when we do get to the face-to-face, how are we going to deliver that? And keeping social distancing is very difficult. And right now we can't start training because of the lack of PPE. So we're really having to get out of the, out of the box to think about not just now, but in six months and a year, because we know we have flu season coming and we're very concerned. And we have this window right now in the summer to get prepared for the fall and the winter. And hopefully it won't be as bad as we think it's going to be, but no one really knows. One of the top- 
topics you discussed in your profile in the magazine that I found interesting was how advanced technology in the medical profession can kind of cut both ways when it comes to healthcare professionals. Obviously, it makes treatment of patients uh, much easier in many ways, but it also creates some new challenges for healthcare professionals to have to learn and use all this. Is that kind of also the case in, in dealing with the pandemic and in dealing with a high volume situation that handling the technology, both the pluses and minus of it is, is a real challenge. I, I would agree. I mean, I have limited experience, um, you know, in that in that moment in the pandemic with a high volume of patients. So I can't I can't answer all of that. But from my perspective, I think, you know, as we're, we're seeing a huge increase in handheld devices, obviously computer based technology and electronic health record um, has been around for a while. And it's actually, you know, that has shifted practice for nurses, physical therapists and doctors. We spend so much time on our shift at a computer now, 50, 60% of the time, whereas it used to be spent more with patients. But in, in the middle of all of that, you know, we're having to use technology more. We have to hope that it's designed and it's user-friendly and intuitive, and we have to have minimal job aids and training. That's not always the case. There's still a lot of room for improvement. Um, just the electronic health record alone, I still see, you know, kind of our basic human factors ergonomics issues of color contrast is poor, font size can't be adjusted, it's not clear, um, search search methods and navigation is poor, um, which still surprises me after all these years. Um, and then um, I think we also have a generation of staff, and, and I can speak for nursing particularly, who didn't grow up with technology, and it's still a challenge for them to adapt to using new technology, which is, you know, we change a lot in healthcare frequently. There's always something new to learn. Um, I think now under the pressure of this pandemic, whether you're worried about being furloughed for your job in the future or you're dealing with high volumes of patients, there's that factor as well um, and how quickly can you adapt. And then um, I was actually on a unit yesterday and we were trying to figure out how to physically distance the nurses at the nurses station to the six foot limit with our computer stations. That's that's pretty challenging. Um, and so we have all those, ba- the, the, the computer workstation, the basic ergonomics um, that we've dealt with for a long time. We have all of that to deal with. That's still a very real challenge. And then, of course, we have, um, I don't know if it's 50, 60% of our staff are now working at home. Um, we've got all of that home ergonomics set up to to be concerned about. And, and along with that goes with how are they managing working at home with their dogs, their kids, their family around. Um, not everyone has an office. Not everyone has a great setup. I've had a home office for years, so I have two height adjustable workstations and great ergonomics tools. So there's, you know, there's a whole new area for ergonomists to get involved with um, on the physical setup and also the, the, um, the work demands and how we organize work at home, in the home environment, because it's not, it's not, as we say in English, it's not everyone's cup of tea, right? So Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Healthcare professionals, hospitals are getting, I wouldn't say back to normal, but they at least have a chance to pause before any second wave hits mm-hmm. to maybe take a breath and prepare for what might come next. What, what kind of things are they doing now to prepare and to and maybe assess what has gone on to be able to be ready in case we do get another surge of this. Varies very much by hospital system. So I can only talk to what I see um, in the Northwest. I just unfortunately read a media report this morning and gets in the media, but um, you know, some of our larger healthcare systems in the U S have taken the stimulus money or assistance money and they've still furloughed staff and not cut salaries. I know in the Northwest, 
most of the hospitals I've, I've read about or been in touch with, they've cut salaries for the senior management to try and avoid furloughing staff. But that's going to be inevitable. Um, the financial losses here in Oregon are um, huge. The financial stimulus from the federal government covered about 10 to 20 percent of the losses. And it's millions per day that they're losing. So right now, they're very focused on ramping up the elective surgeries. Um, I can tell you, last week I was at the hospital, the census was very low. Yesterday, we were nearly full. So, you know, things are moving at a very fast pace and, and without patients and ambulatory surgical centers as well. But in all of this, um, I think there's, as I've mentioned, this concern about PPE going forward. Um, we certainly have very good testing set up locally. We've set up our own testing labs Um at some of the hospitals. So testing and contact tracing has been well established. They've used this time uh, while we've been in more of a lockdown phase to really get that well established because that's going to be critical moving on. And then I think it's going to be planning, you know, staffing levels and trying to forecast um, about staffing. Um, and then in the other pot of this is, is worker safety for me um, and making sure we don't cut corners with worker safety as we try to stay afloat financially. And we're trying to plan for what might come in the fall. So it's, it's um, you know, I'm not at the C-suite level, but it, it's it, this is going to be quite tricky. And we really are learning week by week, I think, as I look at the, the dis- different listservs, um, you know, we're really trying to learn from each other, but no one has a crystal ball right now. So there's a lot of uncertainty. That's my feeling, a lot of uncertainty, which is a little unsettling, I think, for healthcare workers and, and for the hospital systems. I'm not, I'm not sure if that answered your question, Keith. <laughs> well, and, and like you said, we're all trying to figure out what's going to come next because nobody really knows. It's just a matter of how best you can prepare. And long term, um, you, you touched on maybe some of the changes that have been put into place that we might see more of, such as telehealth and, and other innovations. Is, is there a possibility that years from now we may look back at the pandemic as sort of a, a turning point for uh, healthcare in, in many ways and how it's delivered. I hope so. Um, I, I think we had a lot of inequity in healthcare already. We had a lot of waste. Uh, we're very much a disposable society in healthcare. I think that has to be looked at in the context of, of a cost and efficiency too and, and delivery of care systems. I hope this has really focused the value of our healthcare workers in the U.S., we have standards for safety. We don't have a lot of specific standards, for example, prevention of MSDs or workplace violence. Um, under OSHA, we just have the general duty clause, unlike other countries. Um, and, you know, we before all this happened, we were forecasted to be about 1.2 million nurses short by 2021 in the US. And this is a Western challenge right now. We're, we're short many in Europe. Um, we cannot attract them into nursing. And it's just not, it's not just nursing. It's physicians. Clinician burnout is a huge issue. Clinician uh, drug and alcohol abuse and suicide is a huge issue as well, long before this pandemic. So my fear is, you know, we've just added fuel to a fire here. We have to address how we're taking care of these workers because it directly impacts how we deliver um, uh, care and patient safety outcomes and the health of the healthcare organization and ultimately healthcare in the U.S., so I'm really hoping we can learn that um, we have to look at this from a systems approach. We have to address musculoskeletal disorders, slips, trips, falls, violence, infection control, and staffing, and then where we put our money and work efficiency. So all of those things that we do in ergonomics and human factors, I think, have a pivotal role in how we can design the healthcare system of the future, and we better be at the table. 
because there are a lot of organizations at the, you know, from OSHA to NIOSH to in, in, Institute for Healthcare Improvement, AHRQ and others and Joint Commission who are there at the table, we need to be at the table too. Um, so I, I hope that makes sense because I think there's a critical role from us from many different aspects, from the computer workstation to the operating room to, you know, the psychological health and design of work to improve um, reduction of fatigue for healthcare workers. So plenty of areas we can get involved with. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I think if, if people didn't have an appreciation before for the uh, the stress, the challenges, the difficulties and the important work that healthcare workers do, that certainly has definitely come into the spotlight uh, during this time because it's it's been on our news uh, every day. And it certainly puts uh, shines a spotlight on what you do because your goal is to uh, help them care for patients by caring for them. And I think that's something that uh, maybe people didn't think about. Maybe we took them a little bit too much for granted before uh, all of this, don't you think? I think so. And unfortunately, in in occupational safety and um, health right now, and I'm not sure about ergonomics, but we don't see a lot of us were very, as I said earlier, we all work together in the safety, health, ergonomics world in the Northwest. We're very well connected, but um, we don't see a lot of people coming in behind us into the profession and we need that. There's not a lot of us in healthcare, in in ergonomics um, uh, and safety that have have any healthcare background, or you know, we obviously in industry that's a little different. General industry, we need to attract more um, professionals into this arena, and it's a very rewarding arena. Sometimes a tough culture, um, but we can be part of the change. And I'd like to see um, younger engineers and safety professionals you know, think about coming into healthcare and not just from the patient safety side, but that whole systems uh, systems approach with worker safety as well. And the ISE side, which we've been uh, exploring with some of our podcasts with many of our members and how they're handling the whole system-wide approach to health. Exactly, well. exactly. We all have an important role to pay, um, you know, moving forward and using this momentum too. <laughs> Timing is mm-hmm. everything sometimes. So, yeah. <laughs> Well, it definitely shines a light on what you've done and hopefully increases uh, demand for for ergonomics in healthcare and caring for healthcare workers, because you know how important that is. What is the next uh, challenges for you? Are you uh, uh, expecting to maybe see a, a, an increase in some of your consulting opportunities going forward? Well, I hope so. <laughs> so um, you know, I, I think, as I said earlier, I really want to use the virtual platforms to see um how we can deliver that face-to-face dynamic. Can we get that same dynamic on a virtual platform? And I think there's certainly opportunity for um, the usability engineers among us and uh, to, to look at what, how, how we can develop better platforms for that inter, in, you know, interactive training. Um, of course, that depends on broad, you know, a lot of our rural areas don't have high-speed internet uh, for, you know, so there's other factors that we have mm-hmm. to look at. Um, but yes, I'm hoping, hoping to use that more. I'm I mean, I enjoy the travel, but we do spend a lot on travel and time on travel. And I think we're going to see a major shift across all industries um, in, in using our virtual platforms and a lot more people working from home, uh, not just just in the healthcare um, arena. I'm, I'm quite amazed in the hospital where I am how much has shifted to online um, virtual meetings. And they go, wow, why didn't we do this before? Um, mm-hmm. We could spend, a, you know, rather than traveling from meeting to meeting, we can be far more productive um, with our day. So, um, 
uh, yeah, it'll be quite exciting to see. But to be honest, to answer your question, I really don't, I don't know what <laughs> the future is going to hold right now. I think we need to get through the next year, um, see where we're going with this, get a vaccine. Um, and, and I hope we've made some permanent changes in society about washing our hands and things like that as well. So We have all learned, yes. If we didn't learn in, in kindergarten, we have learned since then how to best wash well, our hands. Well, you know, for any of those great designers out there in our, in our ISE world, there's a lot of opportunity to design better infection control tools for delivery of chemicals and infection control, um, you know, and teaching the public and making things a lot more user-friendly and easier to access. Um, I think there's quite a whole new world out there for us in the, from the design perspective that could really help us, you know, as related to this going forward, because unfortunately, pandemics do happen and we need to be prepared for the next one. Hopefully it won't be for a long time, but we do need, you know, we need to deal with this and then we need to plan for the next one and hope we, we, we've learned a lot. Well, I hope so. We've learned a lot from you today, and we definitely appreciate your time. And to segue a little bit, as you mentioned, virtual meetings, uh, the uh, IASC Applied Ergonomics Conference will be a virtual conference this year. It's scheduled for August 4th through 6th. For those who may be interested in attending that, you can go to IASC.org slash AEC and learn how to register. And there'll be a full program of ergonomic and safety presentations and workshops uh, to be offered there. Linda, thanks so much for your time. We look forward to being in touch with you further and learning more as this uh, story continues to develop. And we wish you the best of luck in uh, being able to uh, keep our healthcare workers safer and more healthy. Thank you very much, Keith. A pleasure. This has been an episode of Problem Solved, the IISE podcast. If you like what you've heard, then please share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. If you're an IISE member, you can participate in discussions about this and other episodes at connect.iise.org. If you're not a member yet, then you can learn all about the Institute of Industrial and Systems Engineers at our website, iise.org. Thanks for listening to our show. 